Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's Psalm 1, which along with Psalms 2 and 3 are the Psalms appointed for today, Monday, August the 23rd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the life of David. We're, we're getting close to the end of that um, in 1 Kings 1, 5 to 31. We're also looking at the life of Paul. Similarly, we're getting to the end of, of his story as well in Acts 26, 1 to 23, and then the gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, verses 14 to 27. We're getting close to the end of it as well, of the story of Jesus. We are in the last week of his earthly life. So here we go. We're looking at David now is is dying. <clears throat> and began, this lesson begins, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I'll be king. Now he's David's son by this woman, Haggith. He was the third son of David. Uh, no, fourth son of David, sorry. Fourth son of David. The first three have died. Uh, Amnon, Absalom, and Kiliab. And Kiliab kind of disappears from the narrative, so the assumption has been always that, that he died at an early age. So now the next oldest son is Adonijah, and he declares himself to be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Same thing that Absalom had done. He, he just didn't bother to try and get the people on his side. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking him, why have you done thus and so? As I've said several times now, David didn't watch over his children and didn't discipline his children. And this is the price. This is the price for that. The, the Amnon sleeping with, having sex with, whatever you want to call it, Tamar, his sister, half-sister Tamar, and then kicking her out and didn't want anything further to do with her. Absalom kills Amnon because Tamar is his whole sister, and then he tries to take over the kingdom. And now Adonijah declares himself to be king because David's old and he's dying. And so he declares himself to be king, but David had never displeased him by saying, why have you done thus and so? So whatever he's done, he's gotten away with it his whole life. Since he was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom, he conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. So these two men, who had been faithful and trusted servants of David throughout his life, now turn on David, and they're going to follow after um, Adonijah, at this point, they don't go to David first and say, David, who's who do you say is going to be the king, which they should have done. Instead, they decided to follow Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada and Nathan, the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. So David had this group of faithful men. Now, with in, in the um, case of Joab, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break on this. David is or Joab has faithfully served David all these years, but then David chose to replace him as commander of the army late in his life. And so I, I can understand why Joab might have decided to defect, as it were. So Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted 
cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, all the royal officials of Judah. But he didn't invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the mighty men or Solomon, his brother. Then Nathan comes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and says, Have you heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king and David our Lord doesn't know it? Now therefore come, let me give you some advice that may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then, while you're still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So she did. So she goes in, and, and it says, Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. So he, he has a nurse there looking after him. And then it says, I want you to pay attention to posture here a little bit, because it stood out to me. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. This is his wife, the one that, that he was so in love with. She bows and pays homage to the king. And the king says, what do you desire? What do you want? Because I'm, I, I saw. <laughs> you didn't just come in. You bowed and paid homage to me. So what do you need from me? So she says exactly what she was told to say. And then she says, Adonijah is king, even though you don't know it. He, and then she says what he's done. He sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar, Joab. But Solomon he is not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. In other words, they're going to kill us. And so while she was speaking, Nathan comes in, and they told the king, here's Nathan, the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And then he repeats all the things that were said before. He adds on, and behold, they were eating and drinking before him, Adonijah, and saying, long live the king, Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. How Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king? And have you not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? And it was this your doing, David? You, you chose Adonijah? Is that what really happened here? And then David said, call Bathsheba to me. And so she came in to the king's presence and stood before the king. When she came on her own, she bowed and paid homage. Nathan comes, bows, and pays homage. But she's called before the king, and she stands in his presence. And the king swore saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king, and said, May my Lord King David live forever. I don't know about y'all, but whenever I do Susanna a favor, she doesn't come in and bow before me and pay homage to me. Maybe I should start like requiring that as part of part of the way that we deal with one another, but, but I'm not the king, so I guess I can't do that. But it, it's, it, it's a powerful thing here to see the way that, that the court, or the courtliness, and how it works at court. If you're summoned, you can stand. If you come on your own, then you have to bow and pay homage because you're asking for something. And then, then ultimately she thanks him by bowing again with her face to the ground and paying homage to David. And so we see the beginnings of yet another court intrigue because of David's failures as a father. 
in the gospel lesson today, Jesus is just straight up talking about the end. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Hear that? Let the reader understand. Jesus didn't say that. <laughs> that, that that's Mark writing that for whoever reads it to come after him to say hey we haven't seen that so i want you to understand when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be and we don't know exactly what that means in context uh, we believe though how that it is a blasphemy a blasphemous uh, co-opt of the holy place then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let the one who's on the Housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be no, such tribulation has been, not been from the beginning of the creation when God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days." Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, here he is, don't be deceived. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. We've seen some of this, and we've seen some of this in our day. I believe there's no question here that Jesus is not talking to his, he's talking in some ways to his immediate audience, but, but he's aware that this is going to become part of the record. And so he's talking about what will come in those days because it has to be true because even as bad as the persecutions were then, we continue on and the days continue on. He says, but be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And, we, and, and what the powers in the heavens are are the planets. And so that, Jesus is talking about the end. It's the same stuff that John writes about in the Revelation. The sun's darkened, the moon doesn't shine at night, a quarter of the stars are swept from the skies. Nothing is the same. And so the signs are that all the things that you look for for signs are going to fail you. If you plot a course by the stars, if you believe in things like horoscopes and all that, and that kind of determinism, they're going to be falling from the heavens, so you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to look to that for guidance and wisdom. The sun's going to be darkened. You're going to have a hard time navigating. The moon will not give its light. You can't navigate by the moon. You're not going to be able to do these things. You're not going to be able to find your way if you're looking at those things. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Those are the kinds of signs you can't mistake for anything else, right? I mean, those are the things that, that are going to happen. Jesus says these things are going to happen. And then in Revelation, John's told those same things, sees those same things happening in the revelation that he has given. And so that, that these are unmistakable signs for any, any Christian. Now, but there will be alternative explanations, and there's no question that that's going to be the case. There, there are alternative explanations for everything now, right? Um, you either believe in this or you believe in that. There's, a, there's always an explanation for something that happens. There's a naturalistic explanation. Um, it, it, we're, we're looking at, at something that's the very clear signs. You won't have to uh, uh, puzzle these things out, right? I mean, the things that I just read to you, there's no way in the world you have to puzzle them out. And you'll, you'll, you'll not have to go, oh, I missed that one. Nope, if the sun's not giving its light and the moon's not giving its light and, and the stars are falling from the sky, nope, you're going to know it. It, it. It's don't worry about it. Don't worry that you're missing these signs. But, it, but it's, it, there's going to come a day when it's horrible. And that's exactly what he's saying. Now, are we in the end times? And the answer is yes, we are. 
because the end times began the day after Jesus died. So we're always in the end times. I'm not one of those guys who looks at signs and and looks and says, oh, okay, this is the end. That's the Antichrist. That's whatever. He says there's going to be many of those. And and John even speaks of that in in his um, epistles. He speaks of not just the Antichristos. He speaks of the Antichristoi, which is plural. So there'd be many Antichrists. Um, Revelation speaks of one, and I get that. But, but John says there are going to be many, anti, many antichrists, and he's just following what Jesus said here. He, he, he's explaining to his people in those epistles exactly what Jesus has said. And so we've got to always be on our guard about false Christs and false prophets and those people who are performing signs and wonders. We, we, we've got to have discernment about that and those people. I mean, there are real signs and wonders, but there are also counterfeit signs and wonders. There are counterfeit um, miracle workers, uh, counterfeit charismatic people it's there's counterfeit everything and and that's the reason we have to immerse ourselves in the word of god so that we know and we have to immerse ourselves in prayer we we have to constantly be in prayer and standing in christ because we can be deceived and it's a horrible thing to be deceived and then later see what's happened and and have to to recover that ground and it becomes difficult because we, we no longer trust ourselves or trust the spirit within us if we do that so we've got to be always on our guard. We've got to always be paying attention. In this Acts lesson, Paul has been taken to King Agrippa, and as he comes to him, Agrippa gives Paul the the permission to speak for himself. So Paul begins to, to say, make his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, because you're familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Because he himself, his grandfather, King Herod the Great, was Jewish. His father was Jewish. He, these, they're all nominally Jewish now, but, but they know these things. He says, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And he says, look, my manner of life from the time I was young, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. All these people know me. I was, I was in the best rabbinic school. I, I was one of those people who was ascending in rank. He said, they've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And as for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And remember, that's how he divided the council in the original trial. He he divided them because he saw that some of you people are Pharisees and some of you are Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, so I'm going to tell the truth about this. This is about the resurrection from the dead. And it is, because the claim is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Therefore, now we live, as I said before, in the end times, because the dead, the firstborn from the dead, has been raised. And so he, he, that Paul says that's all this is about. I have a proclamation that the resurrection of the dead is true. (laughs) And I can tell you that because it's Jesus. And then he goes on to tell the conversion story. He says, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. And then he tells his story about this bright light that strikes him 
down, strikes him blind. He hears the voice, and he says here, it's interesting, because the first time and the only time that I know of that he says this, he said, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And, And the reason that that's even interesting or important is this. The Ten Commandments were heard by all those who were standing there in the Hebrew language. And so they believed that that is the language of God. And so that's the reason they take such great care with manuscripts, because the language is that important, because it's God's language, and you better get it right. And so that, that, that language that Paul hears here is the same language that was heard by those who were standing at Sinai, those 600,000 people who heard the Ten Commandments proclaimed from heaven. And so that's why it's important, because this authenticates it as the voice of God. And, it's, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So, so the voice coming from heaven speaking in the Hebrew language is important because it validates that voice as God's voice, not someone else's voice. And then it goes on, and he goes on to tell the rest of his story that he's taken then into Damascus, and this man comes, lays hands on him, but he has a mission and a commission at this point of what to do, that, that you are going to then go speak You're going to be delivered from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but first declared to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, all the region of Judea, and then also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So it's not just a statement of faith or a prayer, a sinner's prayer that's important. No, he says, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Their life had to be changed. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, look, I know the word of God, Herod Agrippa, and and I believe you know at least some things. And so here I am, and I'm declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was raised from the dead, that he spoke to me from heaven the only human voice ever heard from heaven, but it speaks in the Hebrew language and it proclaims this truth. And so I find these things to be true. And they're true, Paul says, because they comport with Scripture. And I know the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you, Herod Agrippa, that all of this is the Word of God. It's the reason we need to know things for ourselves. It's the reason we can't take everything secondhand and get everything secondhand. It's the reason that if you're a Christian and and your discipleship or your devotion time consists of listening to Christian radio on the way to work, that's not enough. Nope, you've got to be in the Word of God. I'm doing my best to teach this faithfully. I, I, I will tell you that, that I don't think that I have an agenda, but I know I do because I'm human. So I encourage you to read these lessons with me day by day. Read them out loud is my um, real recommendation because the honest truth is that you'll see things and you'll hear things if you read these these verses out loud every day. And that's the reason I put those links there. But I, I read the, I read well most of it. I skipped a little bit today um, because of time. But normally I read the whole lessons when I'm doing this, uh, doing these podcasts. I don't leave things out. But but my my encouragement to you is that you remain in the Word of God and remain 
in prayer always. And if you ever find anything false in what I say, let me know because I'll correct it.